All right. Hey, my friends, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Real Life Talk. Really, really appreciate you guys for taking the time to be here and to check out today's episode. Really, really pumped to introduce today's guest to you, Katura Richardson, who is the development coordinator for Casas por Cristo, which is a short-term missions organization's uh, excuse me, short-term missions organization, which opens the door for local pastors and churches uh, throughout Latin America to share the love of Jesus Christ by building homes for people that need to be reminded about uh, how much Jesus loves them. So I'm really, really excited for this conversation. If the conversation today blesses you, challenges you, makes you think, anything like that, please consider um, subscribing, sharing, leaving a comment or a review on one of the podcast platforms. And I really, really appreciate you guys in advance for that. Now, please join me in welcoming to the uh, podcast for the first time, Katura Richardson. Katura, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you for uh, taking the time out to chat with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Duke. I appreciate it. <clears throat> yeah, my pleasure. Uh, so, Casas por Cristo. I'm super excited about this. I'm super excited about um, just what you guys do. I appreciate the conversation that you and I had a little while back and just kind of getting to hear a little bit of your story, the story of the ministry, and uh, what you guys do. And it's such mm -hmm. an impactful thing. Um, so I'd love to uh, just, if you could, uh, we'll start off from there, just kind of sharing a little bit about Casas por Cristo, uh, what it is and what you guys do. Yeah, like you said, we are a short-term mission trip organization. So we bring groups of 15 to 20 people per house into Latin America, and we build a home for a family that needs one in just three days and get to gift that to the family. And we do that by partnering, though, with local pastors. And our pastors committee consists of 100 and 50 some local pastors throughout our different locations and they get to meet together monthly to pray together, worship with one another, encourage one another. But they're also the ones who get to choose which families will receive the homes. And so for short term mission trips, when you think of how could I bring 15 to 20 people who don't have language, culture, evangelism training into country in a short amount of time. That's where we partner with our pastors who are doing the long-term discipleship relationships that Jesus modeled for us and give them that wide open door to go into that family's home and share the gospel with the families. That's so cool. Katura, I'm really sorry about this. Uh, mm -hmm. On my end, it cut off. I don't know um, if, it, if that happened on your end. I don't know what happened, but everything went away. I didn't actually get to hear. Um, I only it, it just clicked back in and I caught the tail end of what you were saying. So could okay. we could we pretend <laughs> that yeah, I had just asked you that question about who you guys are and what you do um, as an organization? And can you go through that one more time for me, please? No, no worries. I'm happy to. Hopefully. it. Yeah, hopefully it stays. I don't know if it's my Internet connection or what. Hopefully it's it normally does pretty well, I think. But I'll try again. Yeah, I don't know what what that was. It just it, and it's never I've never seen that happen before. But um, I'm, I don't think it was your fault. Your video so, just went away for a while and then it came back. So I just assumed gotcha. okay. that so we probably caught we probably captured all of it Maybe. <laughs> on there. It was just you probably by yourself for a minute or however long that was. Yeah. But I just didn't hear it. No, so I would I, I, I want to make sure I'm getting getting the whole scoop here. So yeah. Yeah, so Casas for Cristo, we are a short-term mission trip organization, like you said, and we get to bring groups of 15 to 20 people per house 
into Latin America to build a home in just three days for a family in need. And we do that by partnering with our local pastors. So we have a pastors committee that consists of 150 plus local pastors that meet together monthly to pray together, worship and encourage one another, but they are the ones who choose which families will receive the homes. And so when we think, how can we effectively do short-term mission trips and bring people into foreign countries that don't have language, cultural or evangelism training and do something effective, we get to come in and in that short term, serve, serve, serve. And while the local pastors get to build the long-term discipleship relationships with that family, and we just provide that wide open door for them to share the gospel with them. That's so cool. That's so much fun. Yeah. I, I, uh, I I love that because it's such a big need, right? Like when you're mm -hmm. building a home for somebody, that's such a that's such a major aspect of of the life for that family mm -hmm. that you're coming in, you're able to serve them in such a beautifully practical way where it's like mm -hmm. we're we're at, we're helping you probably the most probably the most practical thing that I could think of is <laughs> like to mm -hmm help somebody that needs a better living situation, um, helping them to, you know, building them a sustainable home. Um, so you mentioned that it's the local uh, pastors that you guys have partnered up with that essentially determine um, who you're going to be building the homes for mm -hmm. and stuff like that, right? So how does that selection process kind of, kind of work? Like, how do you end up, how would you say, I'm sure it varies, but that a local ministry, a, a church, local pastor is basically saying, okay, you're building a house for this family. Um, what's like a typical scenario there? Yeah. So we, as the Americans want to be super hands off in that process. We don't want to come in and tell the pastors how they should be doing ministry when mm -hmm. they're the cultural and all the experts of they're already there doing that ministry and they know better than us. And so we really want to just be a tool for them to have that open door to share the gospel. We do encourage our pastors committee to use the um, house as an evangelism tool, but that is not required. And so I have had some families that we've built for where the pastor said their living condition is so unacceptable. We would never live in that. This family needs a home. They are not involved in our church. This would be a great outreach tool. And so we come in alongside them and pray with the pastors what they're praying for the family and serve them that way. But then I've also had pastors say, this family has been in our church for years. The couple has had marital issues. They have two teenage daughters that we never want to doubt the goodness of God. So let's build them a home. And so we come in alongside them and pray over that family as well, which we get a video. Um, anytime you build with us, you get a trip profile page, which includes a video of the family and them saying what they're excited about for receiving a home. But it also includes a video of the local pastor saying why they chose this family. It's got some information on their poverty level and whether they consider themselves believers or not. And so just some things to be praying over them. But yeah, that's how we choose. And then the only real requirement of the family is they do have to be under a certain poverty level, which is so many people throughout the locations where we build. It's insane. And then um, they do have to own the land that we build on just in case okay. any legal issues come up. We want them to keep the home that we're building for them. Mm, wow. 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 Yeah. Um, so when you're, when you build a home for somebody, you said that you guys do this in three days, you build mm -hmm. the entire home in three days. Yeah. 
Now, is it the same? <laughs> is it like a set a set structure, the same size home every time, or are there different sizes depending on you know if if it's like a family with three kids, four kids? Like, how how does that kind of work? Yeah, so we do have one set house that we build in each of our locations. Those things can vary a little bit, like which way they want the door facing, if they want the house this direction or that, you know, those kinds of things change a little bit. And then our Mexico houses, we have two locations in Mexico in Juarez, Mexico and Acuna, Mexico. And because they are, and a lot of you guys will remember that Texas freeze we had a few years ago that shut down the power grid, that same freeze happened across the border. And so we think of our border towns as having this extreme heat in the summer, which especially in El Paso, it's like super, I mean, hundred plus for, most of July and August. And they do have that extreme heat, but what they really need shelter from is that extreme cold. In Juarez, I know they have over 50 people freeze to death every winter, and that's not including wow. people that are just miserably cold. And so there we do have to do, um, we have to have a completely sealed up home. So we do insulation, drywall, uh, blackboard, chicken wire, and stucco. So that house model looks a little bit different, which we do electric in our homes, windows, doors. We have a mini split AC heating unit that you can gift the family, a bathroom addition in Mexico that you can gift the family on top of what you are required to provide by building with us. And then in our other locations, which are the Dominican Republic and Guatemala Nicaragua and Honduras. It's more of almost like a tongue and groove shiplap type siding. That's a wooden siding. It's really a beautiful home actually. And then we still do fans and electric and that kind of thing there, but their climate, mm -hmm. if we did the Mexico style house, it would all rot out in those climates because it's too humid. And wow. so it varies a little bit by climate. And then in Guatemala, it is known where we build. It's the land of eternal spring. That's kind of their country's little slogan and it's beautiful weather we're up in the mountains it's like 70s 80s pretty much year round and so there they spend a lot of time outside so they get a much larger front porch area than some of our other homes whereas our dominican homes they have the biggest family size out of anyone we build for so we do add an extra bedroom onto that home so it varies a little bit by those kinds of things but each country has its specific model that's so cool Man, this is so much fun. I love this so much. Um, obviously, you know, I, I think we talked a little bit. I have a really big heart for for Latin America. Mm -hmm. um, I was a missionary for a few years in Mexico. My wife is is from Mexico, and um, we've uh, taken a lot of a lot of trips, a lot of um, you know short term mission trips um, mm -hmm. into different parts of Mexico and stuff like that. So I'm such a big fan of what you guys do. And uh, just because I want everybody to, to hear um, what this is, what would what's the average number of homes that you guys build in a year? Yeah. So pre-COVID, we were at like 300 homes a year. And I think this year, I know there's a four in the number. It's either 214 or 240. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what our registration is at right now, but we're really hoping to get um, up closer. And I, we always have it's you know, only March. So we'll have more registrations coming in throughout the year. So we're getting closer and closer to those pre-COVID numbers, but typically around 300 homes a year is what we average. That's so cool. Yeah. So I imagine COVID, COVID slowed you guys down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Did it, um, did it slow you down a lot? Were you still able to go into, you know, do these trips? I know there were a lot of like travel restrictions and things like that. How did that affect you guys? 
Yeah, it definitely affected us a lot because we are an organization that is international travel, which was hugely affected. And then we are also a construction-based organization. So all of the lumber costs were crazy high. So we were having to, normally we only set our costs every year for the next year and make it work. Whereas we were having to kind of recalibrate some of that just so we weren't eating the cost on our houses um, for what we had set it at. So that was definitely a challenge in our ministry, but we feel really blessed that we were able to continue working and moving throughout COVID. We um, COVID obviously hit in March, we all remember. And then even that June, we had teams coming back down and crossing the border and building with us. So we really were only completely shut down for a couple of months. And because we are considered essential, because we provide housing, we were able to continue working throughout all of our locations during COVID. Um, we had our church partnerships. We asked them if they would consider going ahead and donating the money that they were going to use for the builds that year so that we as a staff and local volunteers could continue building those homes. And so we had, I think we still ended up doing over 100 team trips even in 2020, which is amazing for what was going on and that we were able to continue um, doing the ministry we feel like God has called us to do. But then um, I think we are still close to 200 homes for the year between all of the donations. And we started, we call it hope restored because during the worst part of COVID was it hit during our spring break season. And so we have a ton of teams that come down during spring break. And a lot of the families had already received the materials to, for their house to be built the next week. And we were having to go collect those because the teams weren't allowed to come, which is understandable, but very heartbreaking for those families who had waited yeah. essentially already up till a year for their home. And so coming in and taking that, that's why we started like hope restored. So we could restore that hope and come through for those families and still build the homes that had been promised to them that year. And we had a ton of generous churches and were able to get the PPP loan and other things that allowed us to keep doing ministry and come out. I feel like on the other side, even better. And with the pruning and the creative thinking that we had to use to work through that season. Yeah. That's so crazy. Uh, you know, COVID, the, the COVID season, especially the early, the early part of it, so many, so many churches and ministries as well as businesses, um, of mm -hmm. course, as well, all kinds of organizations couldn't operate and or or couldn't figure out how to how to innovate effectively through that process and ended up having to close their doors. I mean, so many churches mm -hmm. and ministries ended up uh, closing their doors completely. Because, and, and, and when I say that, I don't yeah. just mean for the season. I mean, they never reopened uh, mm -hmm. because of what happened there. And so I just think it's really, really cool that you guys were able to you know, kind of find out how we can keep doing this, you know, even even having to scale back pretty substantially, mm -hmm. not being able to build the number of homes that you guys are used to building, but still trying to find those ways to, you know, effectively serve in whatever capacity you could. I think that that's really cool. I think that that everybody that was able to uh, to do that, you know, that churches and ministries that were able to kind of find those creative strategies and solutions for working through that time, as you just mentioned a second ago, mm -hmm. I think they did come out from that season even, you know, stronger and more hopeful yeah. and more resilient and, you know, with an even greater, I think, capacity to do ministry when things kind of went back to 
normal or the new normal that we kind of settled into after COVID. Mm -hmm. It was like, yeah, just that 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 whole thing. Uh, there there was a, a lot of a lot of ministries were were strengthened, I think, in different ways because yeah. they they learned how to kind of pull and band together in ways that they never had had to do that before. And so mm -hmm. that was pretty cool to see. So it's awesome that you guys um, kept kept going, kept persevering, kept plowing through. And now you're on that uptick again where you're starting to get back to, you know, where you're maybe on pace to have a little bit closer anyway to a normal year this year. And we feel forward. like it's getting a lot closer to normal. No more needed vaccinations and no more. I think especially, and it was really hard. I know on our foreign field staff, it was, there was just a lot up in the air. I know our people in the Dominican, our directors down there had, were pregnant at the time with a baby. So it was like, can, are we going to get stuck here? Am I going to have to give birth here? And then I think the wife ended up coming back to the States for like months without the family trying, you know, it's just like, there are a lot of those situations that were messy. And then our Guatemalan team, they were on super strict curfews. It was like, I forget 6am to 4pm or something. But after that, you couldn't be out at all. And so they would get wow. up and work hard throughout the day. But then you were really isolated to your home. And, and then it was like they were isolated as a staff together, which normally we build with teams and you have one person from our staff leading. And so then you had all the leaders, to, you know, it was just I think all of our foreign fields, it affected them a lot more, unfortunately, of it was just yeah. a hard season for them. But yeah. we got through it. And we're just thankful that it's settled down now. We don't have to worry about any of those things. And people can, you know, our teams that come down and visit our foreign staff are such a blessing and an encouragement to our foreign staff. And then vice versa to get to come home and visit family and show up for weddings and those kinds of things. A lot was missed whenever you were really not allowed to travel and living in a foreign country during that time. It was, I know, hard on a lot of missionaries across the globe. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I have some friends that, um, that work in different ministry, um, missionary organizations and just finding those different ways that they could serve their, their, their missionaries that were, mm -hmm. yeah, like in places where they couldn't do ministry the way that they normally would do ministry. Yeah. They couldn't travel the way that they normally would, you know, people kind of getting stuck. I heard stories about people like, um, you know, getting getting stuck in a neighboring country or something and then not being able to get back to their home for like an extended period of time, having babies like in the wrong place and then trying to like navigate that <laughs> in the wrong place, meaning they were traveling mm -hmm. and got stuck and couldn't get back and then had to have their child like away from home and just like all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. And it was such a such a crazy season. And I, I think, you know, that, not to go down a rabbit hole here, but, uh, you know, I feel like here in America, we we complained so much about the restrictions and different things. And a lot of it, you know, whatever, not to I don't even want to get get into that conversation. Mm -hmm. But when you but when you look at what was going on in so many other countries yeah, and how they were so crazy. much more heavily restricted than we are, you know, we. We dodged a lot of bullets, I think, in a lot of different ways that, uh, unfortunately, a lot of other of other countries were on much higher, you know, restrictions than we were. Yeah, absolutely. It was a mess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, glad you guys made it through. Very, very yep. cool. We didn't say this, but Casas por Cristo uh, stands for Houses for Christ for yep. uh, anybody that, that doesn't know. 
houses for houses for Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, how, how long have you been with Casas and, uh, how did that start for you personally? Yeah, so I've been on staff for three years, but it was my first mission trip when I was 14 years old. And so I'm from Southern Illinois and my parents put me on the youth group bus when I was 14. They're like, this is going to be great for you. We're going to send you to Juarez without us. And yeah, of all places. Drove across the United States. It was like a 24 hour drive. And into down to El Paso and cross the border. And I just remember that week really stood out to me in two huge different ways. The first one being that it was the first time I'd ever seen real poverty. I'm from a very rural farming community. And so mm-hmm. you definitely have all income levels there, but you just don't see the kind of poverty that you see on our border town with families coming, trying to get into the U.S. and getting stuck there. And so that was very eye-opening in the way that seeing poverty is very eye-opening for the first time. But the second thing that really stood out to me was I grew up, I'm a preacher's kid. I went to Christian school growing up. I was read the Bible to pretty much every night going to bed, you know, that kind of stuff. So by age 14, I really feel like I knew scripture. I knew the gospel and I looked at how I could live that out in my own life as, you know, a little junior high kid. And it was like, um, be nice to the kids at school be, try to be nice to my siblings, obey my parents. And then I looked at the gospel and I'm like, I know following Jesus is more than just being nice. Like I know it's more than how I can currently live this out. And so on day three of our build, we always do a dedication ceremony where the local pastor comes out shares the gospel in Spanish, and the team gets to give a few gifts to the family. We give them keys to the house. We have a Spanish Bible that everyone signs and hands over with a few words. We nail a plaque over the door. We lay hands on the house or the family and pray over them. And I just remember on that final day of our build when I was a kid thinking like, this is what the gospel is really all about. It's about going to the ends of the earth and doing whatever it takes so that people know that I love them and that they're loved by Christ and seen by Christ as well. And so that's the week that I decided I wanted to do mission work and ended up going to Bible college and have worked with um, church plants overseas and in the U S and have worked with a lot of, I've worked with international students for the majority of my adult life, teaching ESL in universities and doing programming Mm. for them, which was fun. Um, But then coming on staff with CASAS, my sister has actually been on staff with them for about 10 plus years, somewhere in there. And she called a few years ago and I was working at the University of South Carolina and said, hey, we've we're, they're making a new position. It's going to be perfect for you. Your future boss is going to give you a call and talk to you about it. And I was like, I don't know about this because I had also kind of been like, if it's not church planning, I don't know that I want to fundraise for that kind of role. Um, But just seeing how much church growth and development is involved in what we do. I mean, our local pastors year over year just get tons of new church members through our ministry. There's a lot of growth in their ministries that you get to hear about. They we have they'll have, you know, commitments to Christ that they talk about. On average, every house we build equals one point eight baptisms. That's my favorite statistic that we come on. So just learning more about how in-depth our ministry is with church growth and development and really spreading the gospel throughout the Americas was, and in turn, I guess the growth you get to see in our churches here in the state and giving them, I've always loved missions. So getting to 
raise up a heart for missions in the local church where I'm from and getting people outside of their box and outside of themselves and doing something for another family that requires a little bit of sweat and sacrifices more of, I feel like what Jesus has called us to do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm such a big fan of short-term missions and I know that there's, I mean, like I've heard, I've heard quite a bit of like criticism, um, mm-hmm. when it comes to, to, to missions be- because of the fact that, you know, so often I think it becomes this, this thing, I don't know if I'm going to say this right or not, but like, uh, there, there's this idea of us trying to come in and whether we're coming from America or from another mm-hmm. country, um, but but coming in and like trying to s- almost like presenting ourselves in a way like, oh, like we know what you need and we know yeah. what's better for you and, and kind of coming in from this place of like in a long term standpoint you're not really um, mm-hmm. helping them better their situation. You're actually maybe making them dependent on, on you or dependent on something mm-hmm. else. And I, I really love the way that you guys do it in that. Cause I think that the way to, to really, or one of the ways, not that I have all the answers here, but I think that one mm-hmm. of the ways that I've seen that really makes short-term missions very, very effective and effective mm-hmm. over a long term with a lot of long-term fruit is when you get on the ground and you partner with local ministries in the area mm-hmm. so that you're not, you know, you're not going in and just like helping somebody get a free meal or going in and helping somebody get some information and then kind of like leaving, but you're actually helping them to stay connected with the community Mm-hmm. Um, that that can continue to you know help them grow and you know that I, I think that local partnership with people that are in the area and I even like what you said that like you don't try to dictate all of the little details even down to like the most important detail of who's uh, who we're actually building these homes for that you actually leave that up to the, dis- the discretion of those that are actually going to be continue to be there and continue to do life with these people. Um, and, uh, so I just, I think it's really, really cool. And, and I, I think that it's a very, very, um, you know, from an outsider's perspective, I think a really effective way to build something that's sustainable and that mm-hmm. really helps to get the most value to the people that you're there to serve. For sure. And I just, I think of the families, you know, I get to meet these families and they're such wonderful people, but they live in these this systemic poverty that it's like, how do you get out of that? I think on average, the, uh, our families make like 50 to $60 a week. So, and the largest family that I've built for had up to, they have nine kids. And so you think of providing food and clothing and education and clean water for your families off of that. Like we could never do that. And I think it's really easy for Americans at least to separate a little bit of like, well, that's there. There's a different cost of living. There's this, there's that. And it's like, no, no, no. These are people just like you and me. Like they're the exact same. They work hard. I know a lot of our Mexican families, they work. um, We have a lot of factories on the border because other people see that as an opportunity as people come up and get stuck there with limited resources and family ties to kind of help themselves out as they can't cross the border. And so they've put a bunch of factories along our border towns. And so a lot of our Um, people we built for work in these factories and they'll work six days a week, 12 hour shifts. And then 
they're making at most a hundred dollars a week off of that. And it's just, these are conditions we would never accept. So giving them adequate housing and taking that burden, it's giving them a gift of a home is the exact same as if someone were to give us a brand new house and be like, here you go. Like it's an overwhelming release on financial pressure and burden and frees up their money to go into other things. I know our executive director was just on a site recently where he had, they were building for a mom and her kid and her, she had actually received a Casas home when she was a little girl. And she said, because of that, she was able to go to university and she was getting ready to start her first career position in one of the factories. So not just on the line and was going to be able to make a better living for their family. And she was planning on sending her kids to college. And it's like, you can see how it does kind of shift, at least for some families, yeah. helps them get out of that cycle a little bit. And so it is a huge blessing. And I think whenever we come down and build, I not all of our people get to see that side of it because they're not extravagant, you know, homes that we live in, even like here in the US, they're 400 something square feet. And mm -hmm. they're, I don't know, but they're just a huge release of that burden for our families, yeah. for sure. That's incredible. And, and touch on too, because I, I would imagine that, the quality of life changes so much um, with with, uh, you know, having a, a home that you can live in where maybe before that. And I don't know what the conditions are like um, mm -hmm. before, but I imagine in some cases uh, just having, you know, been in different, you know, some different places yeah. like uh, I would imagine that there's not always a floor in you know the in like where they're in their living situation that they might be it might be a like just dirt that people are are living in and that kind of thing prior to you guys coming in and building the home like how have you seen just the the quality of life for people change when you you know come in and you and you build them a home yeah there's it really is just a huge difference so a lot of the homes our families that we build for, they're living in homes where they have, you know, like I, I mentioned the average money they make a month. And so they have such limited resources. And so after providing food and water and education, all those other things that they have to provide for their families, after that, they have very little left over for adequate housing. And so they find scraps, materials, I've seen, you know, wood crates and cardboard walls and blankets for what, like I've seen it all. And we do have a lot of people who live on dirt floors previously, and we do a concrete foundation. And they say even taking a family from a dirt floor to a concrete foundation can add 20 years onto their life expectancy, which I think 20 years. Totally. Oh, that's amazing. Real because I mean, you just can't keep it clean. And we build, you know, in the Dominican, it's tropical. And a lot of our families have these dirt floors. And I'm like, you guys have tropical storms coming through yeah. and your floors legitimately turn into mud and you, yeah. you know, you're walking in it. There's, you're putting wood down to try to, you know, it's just things that we would never consider acceptable on any level. And so then to get to see the life change whenever they have a place that they can keep clean and you'll go out, we go in afterwards and we do follow-up interviews and we get to see the families afterwards. I'm not on the team that does that, but we get to hear stories of how huge of a difference it has made in their lives. And they, you know, save up and they add on to the house. Maybe they'll add a kitchen onto one side. And especially I know our teams that get gifted bathrooms are always so thankful for that as we are all know that 
indoor plumbing is such a gift. And so that can be such a huge difference for families just to have a bathroom that works and a shower attached to their home. And I don't know, it's pretty cool to get to see the, how big of an impact our homes make on the families for sure. That's incredible, man. The things we take for granted, right? Like the simple things that, you know, like plumbing, like you said, like, like indoor plumbing that works like in met, like these, these, these things that are, they're such an, a normal part of our lives that we, we wouldn't even probably imagine living without them. Mm-hmm. And yet, man, there's, there's so many people um, that don't even maybe know what that, is. like, you know what I mean? Like, don't have that, mm-hmm. that even that experience of knowing what that's like. And, and it's just such a beautiful thing, um, what you guys do. I would imagine. So, I know that there's obviously. So, with a, a team coming down from uh, the, do, do all your teams come from the U.S.? You might have already mentioned this, or is it? Do they we come from, teams is it from U.S. Canada. and Canada? Or yeah, we have Canadian teams as well that come and work with us. Okay, so you have these teams coming down from the U.S. and Canada, and obviously like they're there and they're building the home and stuff like that. And there's a language barrier for most people, um, probably with the, 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 the people that are, um, that are going to be living in the house Mm -hmm. and maybe the community there, but how much interaction is there? Like are, is there some interaction there between the, the crew that's down there building the short-term mission team and the, the family that's going to be moving into the home, the community there? Cause I would imagine that is probably times where like, it must get kind of emotional out there. I would, I would think, (laughs) right? Like, so how much interaction is there with, with the families? So we ask our families to be there every day if their work permits it, because like I said, if they want a door a certain way, we want to be able to ask them, hey, is this where you like we set up the foundation? Is this good? You're ready for us to pour concrete right here. This is where you want your home to sit. Um, Things like that. It's just so nice to have them around for. And there are occasions where, you know, they really just can't get out of work, which we understand like there are other people willing to work and take those jobs if they skip a day. So feel free to go to work if you need to. Um, But usually the families are around for the week and we start day one with introductions. We'll go around and have everyone, you know, Mayamo Katura and tell Uh the family what their name is. Maybe we'll answer, you know, an icebreaker question. We encourage all of our staff has some level of Spanish training. It's not, not everyone is fluent, but we're all working towards getting improving our Spanish. And so they can translate some things here and there. And so there's a lot of interaction that happens throughout the week. A lot of times the men will hop in and build with us. The women sometimes will. The kids a lot of times will. Um, They're always, a lot of our work sites have the kids around and hanging out with us for the week. So there's a lot of interaction with the kids. And then that final day we do the dedication ceremony. And usually the families there, they bring extended family, the neighborhood around people from the church come out with a local pastor and it's a big celebration for sure. Hmm. That's so cool. That's so much fun. It's so much fun to like, even, even having that, the, the language barrier and just like trying Mm -hmm. to, you know, communicate and just express, I mean, you can express, you can express love, you know, Mm -hmm. without, without words or without the, without the right words or without a lot of words, you know? And and I just think that's so cool. That's, you know, it's, it's such a cool thing. I would, I would really encourage anybody that's looking for something to do to, 
to uh, to consider, you know, um, joining a, a short term mission trip with um, Casas por Cristo and just having that experience of kind of getting out of your element. You know, if you've never done um, a mission trip like this before and you've never had that experience, I mean, every, every time that I've ever seen it happen, it's you know, I, I think that the mission mission trips like this where you're going and you're just serving somebody, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think you come back just as changed as the family does you know the people that you have a chance to minister to number one because it opens your perspective up to maybe a a world or a way of life that you weren't familiar with before but also there's just something so beautiful about uh about just selflessly serving um somebody else and Mm -hmm. uh and i think that's a really really cool opportunity i might have a couple more questions for you um before we wrap it up but since i'm since i'm on it um how how does it work with the mission trips that mission teams that want to come down like if somebody's interested in maybe uh, you know taking a team from their their church or a ministry group or something like that um, what would they do to find out more information about that do they have to have construction experience do they have to you know know how to do this kind of stuff or how, how does it work yeah so they would reach out to us you can find our website casas forcristo.org or if you just google search houses for christ mission trips it'll pop up you can email the questions at email address and they will probably send it to me i'm on our development recruitment team and so we are happy to um, talk to anyone interested we have a few different avenues that you can go to get involved with us we do have internships so people who are at least a year out of high school can come and we have a few different ways you can serve with us you can do summer long internships where you're on our building team where you build it's like 10 weeks in a row you're building it's insane we say it's an opportunity to conserve <laughs> your guts out and that is not wrong our mission our intern, people that we have on staff that manage our interns are awesome. They're very relational, very pastoral. We definitely see it as a leadership development program. You get to learn how to lead the builds. You get to co-lead teams on their trips, lead devotions, whatever that looks like will give you opportunities in that way to serve and lead. And then we have individual trips. So if it's just you or your small family and you want to come and serve with us, we have under our website, it's like team costs or individual trips. And we have dates that are already set for those. And you can sign up and we will join you with like-minded, mission-minded people to come and spend a week together and get to serve together. And then our most common way that people come and serve is by doing a group trip. And we have we do primarily work with churches. We have a lot of youth groups that come, men's group. We even have female-only builds that we do, which is really fun to think about family having just a bunch of women out there serving like crazy for a week and then they get a house at the end especially in our patriarchal cultures that we serve in um we have families that will like forego their christmas presents and they come and put all that money into a build for the week and come down and serve as an extended family we've got memorial builds that people do we've got businesses that come down and do their volunteer weeks with us businesses even in mexico that serve with us in that capacity um, but it takes only 15 to 20 people to form a group in any of our locations. And you would sign your group up 
and then we assign a missionary to you that picks you up from the airport or meets you on the Texas side of the border and leads you for the week. They are trained to train people like me to do these builds. I'm one of the worst builders on staff. I um, lived in apartments for years and I would call even if a light bulb is out. So I'm like, if I can be helpful on building these homes, I promise you also can be helpful in building these houses. Um, that they will be with you and guiding you through the build process for the week. And then if someone is curious about bringing a team down, but is a little leery and like, we don't really know you guys, I'm not comfortable bringing a group of 20 of my people into a foreign country with you. We also offer free scouting trips and those are for predominantly church leaders, potential group leaders to come down with up to three people from their church um, or group free of cost to check us out, build a home with us for the week, meet our pastor's committee, hear the stories and see if it's something that they would be comfortable bringing people down or feel led to bring people down to serve with us. That's so cool. So there's many, many options and opportunities for how you can get involved. Um, So yeah, that's so cool. I love what you guys are doing. It's so much fun. (laughs) I agree. I feel very lucky to get to do the job I do. It's pretty fun. How often do you personally these days uh, go on the trips? Yeah, so I, being in our recruitment department, I go on a lot of our scouting trips. So we have, I think, five of those every year right now. So I go pretty much on all of those. So at least five weeks of the year, I'm in country building. And then I get two extra weeks to work with supporting churches. We are all support based missionaries. And so churches that come down that support me. I'll hop on their build for the week and get to build those relationships a little bit deeper as they get to see the ministry that they're contributing to. Yeah. So you, you personally, you are, you have to raise support to, to do what you're doing. Yep. All of our missionaries on staff are support based, except for our national staff that we hire. They don't have the church network and resources to do that. So we just pay them outright and they're awesome. Wow. Very cool. Um, When you guys go into Juarez, um, I would imagine, are you driving? Yes, we do drive. Are you, do you drive to, what's your other location in Mexico? Acuna. It's like three hours south of San Antonio, Texas. Oh, okay. So I guess you're making that drive as well, right? south of del rio yep we drive into both of our border towns we meet our teams and that's our one thing that kind of differs if you go to our more central american locations we require you to use our meal plan and we provide in-country transportation for you whereas our texas teams you do have to provide your own transportation but we will meet you on the texas side of the border and you'll follow your missionary and their truck and trailer across the border to we go directly to where we stay and to our work site there and that's what we do wow wow that's very cool mm-hmm. um yeah I've, I've made that drive into mexico several times <laughs> yeah it's not bad but it's yeah fun it's not too bad across the border bad. yeah yeah no it's not bad um so I think I think it's interesting that one of the one of the main um, places in in Mexico that you guys are operating in is in Juarez, which is a pretty intense um, city. Mm -hmm. Would you would you just kind of, you know, paint a picture of what life is like there? What life is like there for our families and whatnot? 
Yeah, just just in general. I mean, like what what is <laughs> for anybody that might not be, you know, familiar with it, uh, just like what is what is the city like in, in general? Yeah, it's an interesting city just because it is it butts up right next to El Paso. So El Paso has 600,000 plus people. And then you really just have this fence that's there. It's a very big fence. You'll break your legs if you try to get over it, which does happen. But across that is Juarez, which has up to 2 million documented people and a ton more other people. And so altogether, this major metro area is like millions of people. And it is, our border towns are just unique cities in general. I feel like it's people who are have been through a lot and they are full of hope, which is a, I don't know, that's an interesting city. But then I'd say Juarez overall is also, you know, it's a big enough city that you keep to yourself and you do, you know, it's a city city. Um, yeah. But once you cross, there's a clear difference from one side to the other. And so I think that's always interesting. From a lot of places you build, you can see UTEP, University of Texas, El Paso in El Paso, which is this huge, beautiful campus that sits at the bottom of the Franklin Mountains. And it's just like a gorgeous and it like represents all that these people trying to come across the border are hoping for. And then you have the border town, which is just crazy poverty stricken and you have your nice ritzy areas but over the majority of the city is pretty run down and um you've got your little shopping centers that are fine and nice and we do go through you know smart which is like their walmart and we'll go to the gas stations and pick up fresh cokes and that kind of stuff but yeah it's in a unique city and all lots of bright colors high desert climate it's interesting one one of the things that uh, I think is interesting and 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 unique about Mexico is um, how you can, like, in, in a lot of the areas, you, you can see some very ex you see a lot of extremes. You see mm -hmm. very extreme extreme wealth. You know, mm -hmm. like like um one of my favorite places uh, that I've that I've ever been is Mexico City, and Mexico City is this like you, you don't ever want to be. <laughs> driving like you don't mm -hmm. ever want you know there's there's a lot of there's a lot of negatives because it's like the most i think it's still is it still the most populated city in the world it's and it was at one point 30 something million people and it's mm -hmm. it, it's like uh it just incredibly you know densely populated mm -hmm. but there's so much beauty but there's also so much just extreme levels of poverty as well mm -hmm. and oftentimes you'll see them operating right next to each other like yeah. within a block, uh, you know, if you're driving by, you see like these homes that cost tens of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then and then you have these very, very extreme, you know, poverty uh, levels as well. And there isn't, um, you know, there there isn't uh, as much of a of a middle class, it, it seems mm -hmm. like. Um, so it's just very there's there's a lot of a lot of extremes, but there's so much beauty. Um, it's such a beautiful place. I mean, there's so much beauty all throughout Mexico, all throughout Latin America. Um, so anyway, mm -hmm. uh, I did want to ask you if you would, uh, before we wrap up here, is there maybe a story or two that comes to your mind of, um, either it, whether it was an experience that you had or, you know, something from one of the interview teams or something like that, mm -hmm. after you guys have built a home for somebody, just kind of seeing the impact that, that the the project had on the family is there just maybe one or two things that kind of maybe 
stick out as highlights in your mind that you could talk about? Yeah, for sure. I, one of my favorite stories that I got to witness on one of our builds, we had a scouting trip down in Juarez and I forget all the exact details and family members at this point. It's been a, it was my first year on staff, but we had, we built for this lady, Lorena, her husband was gone most of the week at work and they had, I forget, I think it was five kids living with them, but then the older two each had a child as well. And they were, there were like nine of them all in this tiny home that they were living in. So initially we went in and built, we're building a home for them, just like praying like, Hey, let this be a blessing that they get to spread out a little bit more and have more space. And then the week before we went down there, we got an email from the sponsoring pastor saying that Lorena had been coming to church and had given her life to Christ. So then that was pretty exciting to get to go in and bless her in a time where she had this newfound exciting faith. And then when we were there, you know, we spent time with the family throughout the week and on the at the dedication ceremony my coworker chris he's our mexico juarez director there he shared the gospel with the family like we do every single build which and i have never seen this at a dedication ceremony before or since but he asked you know hey does anyone want to receive christ and all of lorena's Lorena's kids raised their hand at the same time. Oh. There were like five of them or something that were all like, yep, we want yeah. to. And so that was just really cool to get to see, which you don't always get to see that impact from the get-go. And then I think some other cool stories, I, I just see time and time again, people who are listed as not believers, like we just got to build for a family in the Dominican. And it really is heartbreaking always, but it's also really cool to see God's timing and why we were there this particular week. Who knows? But um, the guy had of this family had recently lost his job because he sold vegetables out of the back of his truck. His truck got in an accident. And so he was out of work for a while until he could potentially get his truck fixed, which is difficult when you don't have an income and you're already living up in poverty levels. And so that was something that he was going through. And then on day two of the build, he shared with our sponsoring pastor that he had actually walked in on his wife in a suicide attempt just a couple weeks before that. And so just to get to come into somebody's family's dynamics at a time where they are hurting and things are messy and you're like, I mean, God knew that like they needed hope and they need to be reminded that he's sees them and he loves them and to get to show up in their lives at that time for people who would have said that they're not believers, but then by the end of the week are, you know, you know, thanking God and thanking us profusely. And it's like, hopefully that was just like a little seed that was planted and can continue to grow hope in their hearts in situations that are incomprehensible for people that aren't living in them. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much for sharing. That's such a that's such a beautiful thing, man. I love it so much. I, I keep saying it, but I love what you guys do. Um, it it seems like just again such a such a beautifully practical way to to serve people and mm -hmm. to just be the hands and feet of Jesus. And you know, you mentioned there just the hope that <clears throat> that something like this can bring into um, somebody's life and, and into the, the the lives of of that family. Mm -hmm. And it's so cool, like. Man, just, just like on 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 any on any level, you know, the the fact that being God's kids, being sons and daughters of God, you know, mm -hmm. having been acquainted with with Him, with His salvation, 
mm-hmm. um, and knowing that we carry we carry this hope. Uh, you know, again, I think it's something that we can so we can so easily take for granted. Like even as as Christians, even as believers, like we can we can forget you know what we've been saved from. We can mm-hmm. forget the fact that we carry hope that so many people around us don't don't have. They don't know what that is. And, and, you know, they, they don't know, they don't know what it's like to feel hopeful, or they don't know what it's like, at least in, maybe in a long time to, to mm-hmm. feel that, that, that sense of hope to have that sense that things are going to be okay, that God is for me, that God is with me, that God mm-hmm. loves me, that God's going to provide for me. And so um, I love, I love this, um, the work that you guys are doing, the practicality of serving somebody in a way that's going to drastically improve the quality of their life. And mm-hmm. then of course the, the door that that opens for being able to, you know, present the gospel to them and uh, hopefully mm-hmm. for them to become a part of that, you know, that church, that ministry, that community where they can continue to, to grow uh, together as a family. So anyway, super cool. Would you mention one more time just where people can go to, uh, you know, connect with a little bit more with what you guys do and find out more about how they could either get involved or how they can support or something like that. Yeah, if you go to casasporcristo.org, if you want to support us financially, there is a give button there that you can give to the ministry that will go towards our overarching ministry costs and building homes for families that need them. And then you can also, there is a questions at email that's listed there. If you send your questions in, they will forward it to the appropriate people and we will get you taken care of. And we'd love to have you partner with us in what we get to do. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, Katura, thank you so much. By the way, Katura is a is a very cool, very cool name. Do you know what it means? <laughs> yeah, I do. It is um, Abraham's second wife after Sarah died in the That's Bible, right. and then I knew it, it sounded is, biblical, but I couldn't rem- I couldn't place it. <laughs> yeah, and then it's Hebrew for fragrance. So my parents always told me I was supposed to be like a sweet fragrance unto the Lord, like a pleasing sacrifice to Him. Oh. How sweet is yeah. that? That's cool. Very cool. Yeah. And then my sister always teased me that they named me after a concubine, which is also true. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, parents. We'll leave that part out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's very cool. Well, I appreciate you, Katura, for your time. Um, you're awesome. The work that you are doing and that all of your, the whole organization there, Casas Por Cristo, the stuff that you guys are doing, it's super cool. I'm so excited about it. I'm glad that things are uh, getting back to normal after COVID and uh, I'm excited even for growth beyond this and for uh, just, just, just more opportunity um, to continue to impact the lives of people. And again, such a, such a practical way. And it's just, it's awesome. So thank you for uh, yeah. Thank you for your, your service in this way to to the world. Thanks for what you do. We're all, you know, God uses the whole body together and it's pretty cool how it ends up working out. Absolutely. Um, All right, guys. Well, thank you for taking the time to check out this episode. Really, really appreciate you. Be sure and uh, stop by casasporcristo.org. Casasporcristo.org, as I say in Spanish. (laughs) Uh, Check that out and, uh, yeah, find out how you could be a part if you're interested in taking a trip or if you're interested in becoming a a supporter or something like that. But, um, but check that out, check out some of those stories really, really just super cool. Um, and, uh, Katura, thank you so much again for your time. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been fun. I hope we get to do it again. Same. All right. Bye everybody.